turn your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8, and we'll continue our study of this wonderful section of Scripture as it details the benefits that flow from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So these are the wonderful things that, that God gives us um, as uh, His children. And we're on the sixth benefit, and it's, it's rather lengthy, and um, last week we began, this week we're going to look at it, and then we still have next week, we're going to look at this sixth benefit one more time after this. But this morning we are looking at the uh, um, heart of this passage, um, verses 19 through 23, and, uh, and then we'll, again we'll, we'll come back and pick it up 20, uh, 24 and 25. Um, this is God's word, and is the um, pattern in the Bible that when God's people, the context of worshiped. Uh, were, um, heard the word of God, um, they would stand um, in terms of the, uh, um, yeah, they would stand out of honor and reverence for the authority of the Lord and his word. So let me invite you to, to stand together with me um, as we read God's word out of honor and reverence for the written word and for the word of God. Hear now the word of our, our king. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together Um, until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. That's far the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for your word. The glory privilege, the glorious privilege that is ours now to have open Bibles and the ability to, by your spirit, um, fellowship with you. Father, earlier, the, the quote from Watson, God, that we, we love you, Lord, and in loving you, our desire is not that you give us talents of gold, but that, Lord, in loving you, you would give us the talent of grace. And Lord, that is our prayer here this morning. As we, as we look at your word and we gaze upon your image therein, that it would indeed produce in us the fruit of, 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 of grace and of love and of devotion and dedication and righteous living and service in your name. Bless this time now, Lord, as we look upon this passage. Grow us accordingly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, you know the story. God created the world, and then he, in chapter, the end of chapter one, he then appoints man to be vice-regents with him, co-regents over creation, to, to reign with God over this world. And then in chapter two, he enters into a, a special relationship, not with all of creation, but with man. 
Adam being the representative. And in essence, that relationship was one predicated upon the works of man, what Adam did. If he, if he obeyed God, he would maintain it. And if he didn't obey, it, that relationship would be lost. We call that the covenant of, of works. And then if you go on in your Bibles a little bit more in chapter 3, we pick it up, what Adam indeed did do. And what he did do is he rebelled. And he sinned against God. And he, he cast off God seeking autonomy over reliance and dependence upon God. He wanted himself to be his own man, and so uh, separate from God. And so all of mankind fell, and you can read about that in Genesis 3 and and the implications of that. Um, But one of the things that we rarely think about when we think about the fall of man is the impact that that fall had on creation. Genesis chapter 3 details that Briefly, it says, Then to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Notice what the impacts are. Cursed is the ground because of you. Interesting. In, in toil you shall eat it all the days of your, your life. When, when he says cursed is the ground because of you, that tells us something changed in creation. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, Something radically changed. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. And the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. From this passage, we see the incredible ben, uh, uh, consequence, um, horrible curse that came upon this world because of Adam's rebellion. Not only did Adam fall, not only did, did mankind fall in him, and thus mankind die, losing their relationship with God and, and losing our, um, uh, marring the image of God in us, etc. But on top of that, brothers and sisters, earth is now cursed. Um, it, its productivity is, um, is thwarted. The earth now will unwillingly yield its fruit. And not only did Adam's sin result in his death, but it also produced death in the world as an animal was killed in order to clothe Adam and Eve. Truly, Adam's sin, brothers and sisters, did far more than just curse man. It cursed this planet. It cursed the universe beyond the planet. And thus, when Jesus Christ came back in his first advent, it is not a surprise to read. It's not very common to read it because the focus clearly is on re- redeeming man. But the, there are many passages that, that talk about the impact of the redeeming work of God on creation. Listen to Acts chapter 3.20. Peter sharing the glorious news of Christ. He said, and, and that God may send Jesus the Christ, the, the Messiah appointed for you, whom heaven must receive, notice the next phrase, until the period of the restoration of all things. Part and parcel of the gospel message is that God has a plan not only for man, but for this world. That which um, Adam cursed it and the resulting consequence of that curse is going to be changed, overturned, renewed, redeemed. Incredible. Now, the sixth benefit we, that we began looking at last week um, is, revolves around this, this, this uh, truth. Um, as we saw, the sixth benefit is the promise 
of glory. Now, last week we saw that that primarily, the content of that primarily deals with the promise of glory with regards to man. So, for example, verse 18, we uh, picked it up. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. In the Greek, it says, in us. It can't compare to what's going to happen, how God's going to transform us and make us. Well, what is that? Well, we referenced it last time, Philippians 3. uh, Paul wrote, Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. Someday we are going to look like Christ. And if you want to know what that is, read Revelation 1. 15, 16, and 17. Wow! We are going to conform, be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. First John 3, John also proclaimed, We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Incredible. Now, brothers and sisters, God does not want you and I to forget this. He details some of the elements of that glory in the passage. And that way we looked at last time, the content of this glory. One is the revealing of our true identity for all the world to see. Secondly, it's the completion of our adoption as sons where we inherit the earth. And thirdly, the full and final redemption of our bodies. Now, that is something God does not want you and me to forget ever. He wants you and I to live on this earth with that as a, as a beautiful carrot in front of us. In and through all things, he wants that to be center place. What's going to happen to you when Jesus Christ comes back? And we know that because the next section, verses 19 through 23, gives us the centrality that this message ought to have in our lives. Because, brothers and sisters, this message is central in God's redemptive program. We see that in two different facets. One is from the perspective of creation. Would you notice me, brothers and sisters, notice with me on the part of creation? Notice how central that message of our future glory is. We pick it up in verse 19. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, based on his use of this word creation, we know he's talking about the non-rational um, facets of creation. So we're talking about animals. Birds. We're talking about um, plants. We're talking about inanimate objects like the rivers, the seas, the sun, the moon, the, the, the stars. In essence, what he says here is that each of these facets of God's creation has an end time look about it. Think about that. Every one of the things in this world that God made has an end time look about it. Notice the language, the anxious longing of creation, anxious longing. Behind this statement is one word in the original, and it carries the meaning of to stretch the head forward, literally. Okay, creation, all of the non-rational, inanimate aspects of this creation now has this longing. It's stretching its head as far as it can forward, looking for, longing for, The revealing of the sons of God. Notice it says, waits eagerly. So this anxious longing waits eagerly. The expression speaks of an eager waiting as if on tiptoes. So it's this this longing. It's also present tense, which tells you it's something that creation has and will continue to do throughout time until Jesus Christ comes back. It's a present tense. 
And so accordingly, Paul is speaking here um, of the hushed expectancy of creation and its longing um, as it longingly awaits the revelation of God's glory in the lives of God's children. That's what he's talking about. Now, you say he's speaking anthropomorphically, Greg, and that's not true. Anthropomorphic, what, what does that mean? Well, it means that you're ascribing man characteristics and traits to things that are not animate. Okay, so for example, Psalm, or Isaiah 55, the trees of the field will clap their hands. That's anthropomorphic. Okay, trees don't have hands and they don't clap, but yet they're saying the trees of the field will clap their hands. That's anthropomorphic language. So it's easy to, to think, Paul here is speaking anthropomorphically. But brothers and sisters, he is not. What he is describing here is what we would call creation design. This is not anthropomorphic language. This is the language of creation design. And what does that mean? Well, for example, it's not anthropomorphic to, to speak about um, solar panels tracking the sun. Because they do. They're created, they're designed to track the movement of the sun. Okay? It's not anthropomorphic language to say, um, that clock wakes me up in the morning, you know? Um, that's not anthropo... You know, my, my wife wakes me up, or the, the milkman, the noise... But the clock doesn't wake up. Yeah, it does. They're designed... You, you may not know this, but shockingly, they're designed with an alarm that you can set, and they wake you up at the certain time that you want. Those ha- that's called creation design. That's not anthropomorphic language. And thus, when we come here, brothers and sisters, just as creation was made to reflect... The glory of God, so with the fall, creation, get this, was retasked. Okay? It was retasked to anticipate the coming of God's glory. Romans 1 describes creation, proclaims the glory of God. Built into creation, creation design proclaims the glory of God's being, that he is that he's unchanging, and that it's with him we have uh, to do. But upon the fall, on top of that, creation was then retasked, doesn't mean to replace. I don't mean that, if that's what you're hearing. But it also, also got an added job. And that added job was to anticipate the revealing of the sons of God. Notice with me verse 20. For creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Okay, let's, let's, let's talk about this. First of all, futility. The word refers to something that is empty, purposeless, or transitory. Okay, it's not the word we'd think of when you shall not use the, the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay, this is a different word. It carries the idea of being bound. And so without success, unable to achieve its stated goal or purpose. If you're taking notes, that's a great one. Unable to achieve its stated goal or purpose. What Paul had in mind here is the changing seasons, brothers and sisters, which bind creation each year. As he's talking about here are the seasons. Okay, creation upon the fall became futile. Subjected, became subject to futility. What's he talking about there? The seasons. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. Nature, every year, as it were, makes an effort to renew itself, to produce something permanent. It has come out of the death and the darkness of all that is true of winter. In the spring, it seems to be trying to produce a perfect creation. 
to be going through some kind of birth pangs year by year. But unfortunately, it does not succeed. The spring leads only to summer, and summer leads to autumn, and autumn to winter. Poor old nature tries every year to defeat the vanity, the principle of death and decay and disintegration that is in it. That's the idea behind um, futility. The vanity, the futility. It is subjected to futility. And hence, it, it's, it's, it's trying every year to defeat its futility. It, every year, it, it goes from winter to spring to summer, but it can never quite become what someday it will be. And so it dies every year. But it cannot do so. It fails every time. It still goes on trying every year since, since the fall, um, every year as if it feels, actually since really the canopy was uh, destroyed, as if it feels things should be different and better. That's the idea at the end of verse 20 in hope. It, there's this anticipation of it. It wants to do more every year. It wants to go beyond what it becomes, but it doesn't. As he, as the text says, um, it doesn't and never succeeds. Hendrickson added his commentary to these, uh, to it with these words. The creation is subject to arrested development and constant decay. Though it aspires, it is not able fully to achieve. Though it blossoms, it does not reach the point of adequacy, uh, uh, sorry, adequately bearing fruit. It may be compared to a very powerful world champion boxer or wrestler. So all this uh, potential, right, who is chained in such a manner that he cannot make use of his tremendous physical prowess. That's the idea behind futility. So get this, brothers and sisters. At the fall, creation got an added function. Prior to the fall, there was no season. But this function now was given to it by God for a purpose. In fact, notice with me as the text goes on, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it. Brothers and sisters, God imposed this upon them. Upon it. We say, you love the season. Man, I love the season. One thing I love about Colorado is you get four seasons, right? You know, sometimes you go down, way down south, and I'm thinking of the Caribbean. It just, it just seems like it's summer all the time. How boring. Boy, I love the seasons. Do you understand there were no seasons prior to the fall? So the seasons came, and you have to ask yourself, upon the fall, is, is, are the, the seasonal changes inherent in a fallen world? No. A fallen world, because of sin, does not require seasons. But he ordained the world to have seasons. Why? Paul tells us why. He does it, brothers and sisters, so that they would point to something. And you've got to open your eyes and see this. That's what Paul is saying here. Brothers and sisters, open your eyes. The world was created in such a way that it gives yearly in fact almost all of the time every time that we're living we're in some season and so you can look at the season and with anticipation know that there's going to come a day when this world will for the last time spring forth spring and then enter into summer but this time it won't be held like that heavyweight boxer it will become this glorious incredible planet once again but every year it tries, and every year it fails. And Paul says, B 
built into this failure, this succession, this trying and failing, is a message from God, a message from the, the universe. A glorious message, we call general revelation, is this glorious revelation. And that revelation is, what is it? Verse 8 and 19, the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. I can just imagine Paul in winter looking out at the Palestinian countryside in winter. You know what it would have looked like? What the earth will look like once it's burnt up. Second Peter 3. Barren, rocky. All you see is rocks. Come the spring, those rocks will be covered with, with beautiful flowers and things like that. But, but right now, it's just barren. You can just imagine Paul seeing that and, and thinking of the, the, the burning of this earth. Sometime, sometime in the future, God's going to come and burn the earth. Burn it up in judgment. But it's not going to be consumed. It's going to be just burnt up. And then... It's going to sprout. Verse 21, Therefore the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Just like we will be free to be what God wants us to be, earth once again will be free to be what God wants it to be. Incredible de- description. Now, if you a, a quick uh, timeline here. Revelation 20 through 22, hitting that back with Matthew chapter 25. What's going to happen? Jesus Christ is going to come back in his second coming. And when he comes back, Matthew 25, he's going to bring, uh, people are, are going to rise and meet him. He's going to come down. He's going to finish the battle. Then, somewhere, somehow, we're going to be transported. Everyone who's ever lived before his throne, Matthew 25. During this time, the earth will be burnt up. 2 Peter chapter 3, 10 and following. And then after the last judgment, God will cast the fall over Satan into the lake of fire, Revelation 20. And then, Revelation 21, his bride, everyone who, who, who are his uh, children, will now then come down with Christ to a remade world. So sometime between the um, last judgment, the earth will have been burnt, and then, brothers and sisters, get it. It's going to sprout. It's not going to be instant uh, uh, presto, let there be four form trees. It's going to sprout and grow. Think of a plant growing in the spring and summer, right? Growing from the ground. The whole earth is going to come, but this time they will not be chained. And it will become what God wants it to be, the new heavens and the new earth. And that is where Revelation 21 and 22 all takes place. That's what's going on in 21. The creation itself will be set free, just like we are set free. And it will be able to become that which God wants it to be. Notice verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans right now. It groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Let's look at those words, the first word groan. Generally, this is an audible expression of anguish due to physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. It references the bewailing of a condition that is painful, unsatisfying, and sorrowful. A cry of deliverance from a torturing experience. Okay, Um, along with the changing season, what would be encompassed by this would be the signs of the time as well. Right, so wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, natural disasters, drought, famine, sickness, disease, and the like. So right now, this earth groans. 
There's this groaning as if it's being tortured. So imagine if you were in a you know, time of when, when, when you know, there was persecution going on in the, the church and people were getting rounded up and tortured. Imagine sitting in a cell and listening to people being tortured. That's what you and I are living in right now. This earth is being tortured and it's groaning. And every time you see a sign of the time or the seasons, you're seeing the groans of the earth. Just, ah, oh, I, can't, I, I can't wait till this is over. It's groaning in pain, groaning in anticipation. Um, like in the, we would say um, anticipation because of the phrase creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth. What are, what are labor pains? They are well, horrible pains that anticipate something. That's what the signs of the time, and that's what the seasons are. They're they're the pains of creation. God did not make the world to have the the signs of the time. Uh, Disease, sickness, uh, uh, um, you know, viruses, name it. Wars, rumors of war. The seasons. All of these things are the result of design. God designed the world when it fell because of man's sin. He designed it to have this, to have these traits. And these traits were all to be a testimony, brothers and sisters. A testimony. Remember in in uh, um, uh, first or not first uh, Samuel in Joshua, when the Israelites crossed the River Jordan after the promise, after the, the wandering around in the desert, came up to the east side of the Promised Land, crossed the River Jordan, and as soon as they crossed it, and the floods uh, stage, and, and, and it was parted like the Red Sea, what did God tell them to do before they left? God said, "Set up twelve stones." And what would be the purpose of those 12, these massive boulders? So 12 stones, each boulder to represent the tribes of Israel. What would be their purpose? We, we read in, in, in Joshua 4, So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. What? Of God's delivering grace. Brothers and sisters, do you understand what Paul's saying here? He's saying the seasons are the same testimony as those stones. They testify to the redeeming grace of God. God designed them to be this way. That's why we have seasons. They're there to testify to the redeeming grace of God, the revelation of the sons of God. So the whole earth is groaning and suffering the pains of childbirth until now. And we are called by Paul here. Guys, do you understand the sixth benefit? It's it's the glory of God that's coming to you and me where our true identity will finally be seen, our, our sonship will be fully embraced, our bodies will be completely renewed. And he doesn't want you to forget this. So he placed from the very beginning into creation these testimonies, these declarations, these messages. Christian, look at those messages. Learn, attune your brain, your mind to see those messages. Now that you see it, Hopefully, you'll never be able to not see it, right? This, this is one of those things where you don't want to unsee. Boy, I'm sure glad I see it. My eyes I see it now. Every facet, facet, whether it's winter, you know what's coming up soon. And winter, faith tells us summer's coming, spring's coming. And spring leads to summer. And some, we, we know, oh, man, it failed again. We're going into autumn, right? The autumn of this, of this earth. Brothers and sisters, you and I must... Learn. This is what Paul's getting at. We must start 
um, uh, receiving daily the message of creation. And that message is live in light of the coming glory of God. You know the word pneumatikos means? I think you do. I've referenced it many times in 21 years we've been here. Pneumatikos is the word in Galatians 6.1 for spiritual. And a, a spiritual person, a, a pneumatikos person, is someone who, who isn't just saved, but it's someone who's living in submission to the word of God, to the message of God. In essence, what I'm saying is, brothers and sisters, Paul's saying here, you and I need to be spiritual people. You guys stop looking at this world through the eyes of unbelief and see the world as God has intended it to be seen. Colossians 3, 2, that's what it's getting at. Set your minds on the things above. Be pneumaticos, be spiritual, be people who are spiritually minded, who understand God's word, or better yet, the world in light of God's word. Now the problem is, the moment I say that, because of our performance-based, you're going to go, you're right. I need to do that. And I do that, God's going to bless me. Brothers and sisters, i got to address that just briefly. Why? Why should you, from this point on, start reminding yourself with the seasons and, and the difference in various things of the coming glory? It's what God wants you to do. It's central to creation. It should be central to you and me. Look at the message, behold it, and see it. Why should we do it? The answer, brothers and sisters, is not to get God to bless us. It's not to make God pleased with us. It's not to get God to delight in us. Why should we do it? It's so that we would be better able to delight in God on a daily basis. That's why. Got a quote for you here. It's not up there. Just listen to it. One of my uh, professors wrote, Our obedience does not qualify us for his mercy. And our disobedience does not disqualify us from it either. So why is God concerned about our behavior? This text is about behavior. Why? The answer is, I'm sorry, the answer is the heart that dispenses God's grace is the same that designs, that is, that uh, designed God's law. The heart that dispenses God's grace is the same that designed God's law. God does not save his children from sin's disease that encourages them to play in its traffic. His standards revive the soul, make wise the simple, bring you to, the, to joy, bring joys to heart by the relationships they protect. God has established his commands in order to care for those his grace secures. God makes his commands to care for those his grace secures. Out of love for us, he calls us to walk in paths that are perfect for experiencing his love. So we, we, I'm not telling you do this so God will delight in you. I'm saying do this so that you'll delight more in God this coming week, this coming year. Brothers and sisters, this is what Paul's getting at. You and I must understand that central to God's plan in this universe, the whole world has been, in the fall, been retasked, whatever the words you want to use, been given this additional calling or job, and that job is to anticipate the coming glory of God because the days that come, the earth is going to do it once and for all and become what God wants it to be. Now, that's just half of it. You go, okay, that's incredible. I find, honestly, this past week was just wonderful uh, fellowship. Wow! Um, But then, notice with me verse 23, on the part of the child of God, it gets even better. And not only this, you think that's amazing, not only this, 
But also, we ourselves, emphatic, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, emphatic, again, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In essence, what Paul's saying is, he's writing this, believing you're not going to believe this. That's why he, he uses ourselves in the emphatic twice. Guys, the, the creation has been retasked, that's my word, retasked to not only glorify God showing Romans 1, but also now to anticipate the revelation of the sons of God. It's, it's been retasked to do that, but guess what? From the fall on, so have you. That's what Paul's saying. So have we. There's a facet to our being that most of you don't even realize. God ordained to be this way in your life so that you would anticipate the revelation of the sons of God. Did you know that? There's a facet of you and my being that from the fall on, God ordained the world to be this way, ordained you to be this way, all of us so that we would anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ, and we don't even realize it. What is that? Well, notice what he says. We ourselves also groan. Now, we've got to understand this groaning in light of verse um, uh, 22, the gro- or 21, or I'm sorry, uh, 22, verse 22. We know that the whole creation groans, and we ourselves groan. So this groaning is not the groaning of Romans 7. Okay, years ago when I preached this, I actually said it's the groaning of Romans 7. I was wrong, completely wrong. This is not the groaning of Romans 7 where you and I, the things we want to do, we don't. The things that we don't want to do, we do that struggle. That's not the groaning. The groaning, its definition comes from verse 22. And what is that groaning? It's the groaning of unfulfilled expectations. It's the groaning that comes upon this world, that is on this world, because it can't be what God wants it to be. That's the groaning. So I define it in this way. It's every time we feel the pain of decline in our bodies. It's, it's walking up the stairs, getting out of a chair, and you go, ah, my knees. That's the groan. It's every time we fail to achieve what reasonably is in our grasp. Ah, I failed again. It's the groan that accompanies physical labor of any sort. You know, ah, Oh, man, this thing's heavy, right? Um, It's the rehabbing of a muscle. It's the lifting of a heavy object. If these groans, brothers and sisters, which we have every day, okay, that's, so when God, again, the, the curse came, earth was cursed, I read about it in Genesis 3. With that curse, God could have, a lot of things could have happened because of Adam's sin. Um, the groan is not inherent in sin. Okay, it's not. We, we don't need a world where we groan. We don't have to have that world. But God ordained this world to have these groanings. Where you and I walk upstairs and we feel the, the pain. And, and, and we, we wake up and, and I, I pinched a nerve in my neck last night sleeping. You know, what is going on? You know, I remember our, 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 um, David when he was a baby. And Janet went into his bedroom once. And there was blood all, all over his, his uh, pillow. It's a little, little eight-month, or what, what, three-month-old baby, whatever. Well, he, his fingernail, he scratched himself, and it just bled all over the place. Um, and Janice like, you think the safest place a baby could be is a crib? And look what happened. It was incredible. That's the groaning. Okay? God made the world to have with it these groanings since the fall. 
And brothers and sisters, when these groanings remain earthbound, so walk with me on this one. When these groanings remain earthbound, what happens? We become grumbles. We begin grumbling and complaining. That's earthbound. When this, we've been made with these things, when they are only earthbound, we grumble and complain. You know Christians like that. Okay? You ask them, how are you doing? It's an organ recital. Okay? I'm not trying to be mean. But it's an organ recital. How, you, you know, how are you doing? Oh, my teeth hurts. My eyes hurt. My fingers hurt. And yes, I went out to the park and it rained on me. I mean, they're the Eeyore Christianity. Well, most Christians think Presbyterians are, to be honest. Okay? The Eeyores of Christianity, you know? Yeah, you know, I might as well not even try because I'm sure I'll be cursed. Right? I mean, that, brothers and sisters, that's earthbound struggles. That's earthbound groaning. When you and I groan and all we can see is this earth. The result is we grumble and complain and gripe. And guess what? God hates that. Korah grumbled and complained. His, his uh, 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 complaints were all earthbound. And so the earth opened him up and ate him. Okay? Grumbling, complaining is not, what this, it's not the, the groan. That's the result of groaning with only your eyes set on this world. All oh, the good old days. The good old days, if only, if only we could go back, you know, 30 years when I didn't have this bad back, and 30 years when the world was so much better, and 30 years, brothers and sisters, that is earthbound groaning. You know, oh, the government, the government, I don't like what's going on. You know what Biden's doing now? Good night, guys. So how y'all doing? I'm not doing very well. I don't like what Biden's doing. Is that going to be your fellowship out of day? That's, that's groaning earthbound. Being so caught up and filled with the things of this world, it results in blah. And we all go, man, that was a rough time of fellowship uh, today. I don't, I don't want to talk about COVID anymore. I don't want to talk about government e- anymore. Let's just talk about good things like, like Jesus, right? Um, I don't want to talk about it. Brother, says, that's earthbound. But when our groanings serve the end for which God made it, which is what? The anticipation of of the second coming of Christ. Do you know why in this fallen state you walk upstairs and you hurt your knee? So that you and I will anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ more. That's what Paul's saying. It's not only the earth. It's us. Built into our fallenness, our our decaying bodies is this glorious opportunity if you'll take advantage of it. And that opportunity to anticipate, to long for, to hunger for Christ, his righteousness, his glory manifested in us at the last time. That's why we have those things. It's not so we walk around as Eeyores. God gave us these things so that you and I would anticipate more fully the second coming of Jesus Christ, or as the text says here, the revealing of the sons of God. Our revealing what we're going for, the redemption of our bodies. Notice how it, how it ends. We groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. That, brothers and sisters, is the whole point of the groanings in the Christian's life. So not only does the earth groan, we groan. We all groan. We know that no matter how small y'all rehab. Oh, I hurt my pinky. That's designed in the life of the Christian. It's designed for you and I to open our eyes to the reality 
that this world is not our home. This is not our permanent uh, station. God wants us to long to live on this earth, longing for what we saw last week, the declaration, the unveiling of his people, the full uh, reception of, of all that awaits us as sons and daughters of the living God and the redeeming of this body of ours. That, brothers and sisters, is where God wants us to, to, uh, to live. Now, how does that occur in our lives? How do we get there? Okay, some of it is for you and I purposely. Purposed. Let's, let's take these groans and work with them, work with our labor pains, improve upon our suffering. Some of it's purposed. But there's a little tiny phrase in here I've skipped. Would you notice 23? And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Okay, I'm going to close with this quickly. The Old Testament, the first fruits was a sacrifice. Okay, and what it was, was on a harvest, the first fruits were always the best fruits. You're to take the best of the fruits, bring them to the temple, and offer them to God. And, it, and this offering meant a couple things. One, this is our best to you. Two, more is coming. This is just the first. There's a whole lot more coming. Um, and so it's that declaration. Well, get, Paul twists that language here just a little bit. And what's he say? Having the first fruits of the Spirit. Do you understand this is? It's not an offering we give to God. It's an offering God gave to us. Because you're saved. Do you know what God gave you? He gave you already. Many of us go, I can't wait to die and be with God because when that happens, I, I get so much. Brothers and sisters, you got the first fruits of eternity of eternity blessing given to you already. What's the first fruits? The best fruits. Do you understand you have something right now which will make the rest of you're gonna, what you're going to get in the rest of eternity pale in comparison. You got the resident, the residence of the Spirit of God in your life. And because of that first, that, that donation, that Spirit, we've already saw this last week, testifies to many things, but one of which is the inheritance. Ephesians 1, last phrase I'll have you look at. In him, Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed with him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge, a down payments, a pledge of our inheritance with the review to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Brothers and sisters, how can we do it? Because you have already the first fruit. All that God is going to give you from this point on will not be as glorious as what you already have received in Christ today. The question is, are you living in light of it? Do we live in light of it? I can't tell you how much I would encourage you the last couple of years, more than that. I've been trying to live in light of it. I talk more by myself than I ever have in my entire life. Now, if Christ, if the, if the Holy Spirit isn't real, then I'm becoming a little weird, Okay. Right? The words are who are you talking to? You know, what friend are you talking to down there, Greg? I talk, when I'm driving by myself, I'm talking to the Spirit of God all the time. Do you? He's resonant within you. God Almighty is within you. It's transformed my, my prayer life to live in light of this reality. Holy Spirit's here present. And what's the Holy Spirit's work? Uh, some of it. It's to sanctify me. So now I, I, at times I feel like I'm talking to, uh, to myself. The world would say that. But I'm not. I'm talking to the present of Holy Spirit. Spirit of God. 
please transform me. Spirit of God, take this pain that I'm currently feeling and enable me to, to or, or enable it to make me long more and more for Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you've got resident within you a donation, uh, a, 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 um, a, a down payment called the Spirit of God. And thus, how do you do it? Walk with the Spirit. What does that mean? That means you, you walk as if the Spirit of God were walking with you. God is walking with you. You have conversations. And he talks to you. Not in a still small voice, but from his word. So you're in the word of God enough that when you talk, you know what the word of God says. You know what the word of God's uh, um, a commentary on what you're saying is. So you hear those words and the Spirit's talking back. Oh, Spirit, God, please, you know, grant this person grace to be or grant me grace to become or to love, to know, to, to think. And, and words start coming in your mind from God's word because you're in it. Brothers and sisters, that's the glorious benefit that we have. So uh, the glory of the, the coming glory, the sixth benefit, it's central to God's plan. He wants you and I to see it. He wants you and I to live in light of it every single day of our lives. He wants you and I not to be people filled with grumbling. Not because grumbling is so, uh, uh, somehow is horrible. It's be, well, it is. Because it's so earthbound. You're not, you're not looking at eternity. You're looking at just at the, at the present. Get your eyes out, brothers and sisters, and not grumble, but allow the, the groanings of this life to make you and I long for Jesus Christ even more. Now, I say this lastly. Understand this, this sixth benefit comes on the heels of no condemnation, sonship, fellowship with God. Look at all the different benefits listed there. All of that is done before we get to this. So we're not talking about do this and God will somehow make you better or, or be more pleased or delighted in you. No, I, again, I'm saying this so that you and I would not make God delight in us more, but that you and I might delight in God more. Let's close. Father God, we do pray that you would work a work of grace in every one of our lives. That, Father, we would today with this added information not only do we see general revelation proclaiming your glory and your greatness and your goodness to everyone who sees it in fact lord so much so that they have to suppress it but lord for your people who have eyes to see having the first fruits of the spirit god we ourselves likewise can participate in the groaning of this world as it longs for you God, I pray that you give us the grace to participate in this groaning, Lord, to, to, to direct the pains and the disappointments and the sufferings of this world to make us long for you more, not to long for a different job or a different spouse or a different parent or a different family or a different education or whatever. But, Lord, given to us that we might long for you more. God, I pray you'd work that grace within us that we truly would. For God, that is what our desire is with the Lord's Supper. As we take this meal, we know there's a fourth cup, and that fourth cup we long for. We long for the day that we'll be at the wedding feast of the Lamb, where this fourth cup, once again, will be enjoyed by us, your people, and by you. So, Lord, we take this meal as we approach it with a longing of anticipation and expectancy. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.